Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore-focused writers from Blizzard Watch, and I've got both of my wonderful co-hosts with me today. I'm so happy. First up, he's a shaman columnist, he's also a lore aficionado, and that would be Joe Perez. Hey, Joe! Well, hello, everybody! How you doing? I am doing fantastic. I have, uh, I've been running a D&D game as of late, which I've made a call to action to have people submit uh, magic, random magic items to my campaign to see uh, see what I can stick my players with, uh, oh. and it's been a lot of fun uh, because Tuscar exists in my world. Because why not? Uh, all of these sentient races of WoW have made their way into there in some form or another, uh, and it's great to see my players have who have never played WoW or don't don't know anything about it encountering like sentient lobsters for the first time, and it is fantastic. <laughs> Okay. Also with us, we have our other lore aficionado over at Blizzard Watch, and that would be Matt Rossi. Hey, Rossi. Hello, everybody. How you doing? I had to go Christmas shopping today, so yeah. I actually tried to buy a video for my wife and her mother to watch tonight. The uh, you know how the you know the Grinch saved Christmas, and as I'm taking it off the shelf, it was the last one, and it was the they they had like a, they have like a special edition. All the the Blu-rays were already gone, but this was like the this is the cartoon, by the way. It's not the movie. I was going to um, ask. <laughs> that was actually yeah. the next thing I was going to ask, but good. It's okay. The cartoon, not the movie. Uh, but this was the last one that they had. And as I was picking it up, this person who was like maybe four and a half feet tall actually tried to like basketball jump up and grab it out of my hands. I'm not even kidding. And all I had to do was lift my arm a little because I'm I'm like six foot. So she was like, give me this look and like grabbing it. I'm like, hey, no, I picked it up. I'm taking it. She followed me to the cash register until I bought it. And then she stormed off and she didn't say anything to me the whole time. Like I was like, you know, speaking to her and she just didn't, she just kept staring at me. There were no words exchanged. No, I spoke. I was like, Hey, no, I'm buying this. What are you doing? Man, people are weird. She was very, very angry. Small and angry. (laughs) I was half expecting to take an ax to the back of the head. I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be very careful when I leave this mall. But yeah, it was my own fault for going because the, the mall down the road is the West Edmonton Mall, which is the largest mall in North America. Uh, I should have known better, but 
it's close and I had stuff. I already bought my wife of her big Christmas present, but I hadn't like, there's various little, I like to get little things, you know, just so people get other stuff. They have, you know, assortment of things. So yeah, it's been kind of rough year money wise. So I didn't really have a lot to spend. So yeah, I went today and that was really fun. Um, Aside from that, not much going on. I played some WoW recently. I got through most of the war campaign. Uh, I think I got through all of it. I think there might be a little bit more that I haven't quite finished yet. Okay, well, we're going to jump right into that, actually, because the last time that we all got together for a show, it was just before 8.1 was set to hit the servers the following Tuesday. Um, It has since been out for a couple of weeks, and I don't know about you guys, but I played through both factions now. Um, as far as like the war campaign updates go, as well as the Darkshore lead up and the, and the stuff that's going on in Darkshore. So um, for people who are avoiding spoilers, I don't know where you've been. This stuff has been out for two weeks, but just in case, we're going to be talking about everything 8.1 and we're going to be talking about both Alliance and Horde, and we're not really holding anything back. So if you're avoiding spoilers for whatever reason, if you're out for the holidays and you haven't gotten a chance to check out that content, maybe come back after you've taken a look at it. So let's just jump right in. What do you guys think about what's going on with Darkshore? And all of that. Darkshore itself, I think my biggest problem with it is that because it's a warfront, there's no real resolution to it. And because the quests that lead up to it feel kind of hollow from the Alliance side, it's like we go through a lot of effort to get Tyrande her big power up, and then she barely takes out one one Valkyr. And I'm like, okay, that that wasn't really worth all the stuff leading up to it. Like, it was cool while i was doing it and i liked a lot of the discussion like one of the things i liked was that they finally clarified that yes uh sylvanas murdered a whole bunch of innocent people like they're dead they this they are dead they were innocent people on that tree and they're dead thousands of them like so that's that was cool that that was clarified that they finally got they got a number out for it but i don't know i I just felt like doing it like in the end there's no real loss to the horde because it's not like they're going to lose Darkshore because the, the Warfront's there. And it's not like they lost anything. They lost a Valkyr. I get that that's a problem for Sylvanas because it means she, you know, loses one more for the things she needs to make more Forsaken. She's got but, kind of a limited number to work with. Yeah, well, but it, it doesn't feel like anything. It doesn't, it's so, you know, we don't even know how many she's got, you know? So it's kind of like, okay. I don't know how you guys feel about it. Maybe you, you felt differently, so. I got a lot of different stuff out of it from the Horde side of things, at least from my perspective. First of all, Tyrande is freaking terrifying. Um, like, you say she didn't do a whole lot, but here's here's the thing from the Horde side. You you watch her, like, this this agent of terror now, like, just destroy an entire war encampment. Like, an entire unit, like, single, like single-handedly destroys them, murders them without even batting an eye. That's That's super powerful as far as, like, the Horde are looking at. And even then, it's like, we need to get out of here. Like, this is the area we need to not be in. Just, she can have it. We're, we're good. We're good. We're going to be over here now. And the thing about killing the Valkyr, that's kind of a big deal. Not just because, like, Valkyr are, like, important to Sylvanas. But if you've done, like, just going all the way back to the, the like, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, like, the Trisval Glade stuff and, and those quest scenes in that area from uh, since the Cataclysm remake, those are important not just for what she wants to do as far as raising... Uh, more forsaken it has everything to do with her staying alive because if they're not there if they can't like juice her up if she dies 
that's one more thing where she's she's just you know it no longer an insurance plan is in place. Uh, yeah. So but... every every loss is every loss is felt there. At the same time, though, I mean, Valkyr have been raid bosses. They have. Like, I've killed two of them. Um, it just it doesn't really feel. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll be upfront. What would have, in my opinion, made it good? What would have made it interesting and compelling is if Nathanos had died. Maybe I... not even permanently, but quite frankly, yes, permanently. Nathanos should be dead. We should be done with him. Well, I've had enough of him there. being sarcastic. I've got enough. You know, his quips aren't amusing, and then more importantly. When he gave her complete total disrespect and then just walked away from it, I'm like, no, it makes her look weak, and it shouldn't, because this should be the moment where it should be scary for the Horde, and it should actually be scary for the Horde, not we lost a war encampment. It's a big deal. You lose war encampments all the time. That's not – no. I didn't but I, it. I'm, I, I just think... don't. Alliance side, there, there hasn't yet been a moment in this expansion where the Horde has actually lost something and not destroyed it themselves until fairly recently. And I think that's I think that's going to shift, and I think that this is going to start marking a little bit of a shift in that, especially with what's coming in the war campaign and what we know is happening. Like I think that's going to change just a little bit to swing a little more the alliance side, and that's fine. That, that I think that's necessary, and I agree with you. Where like the horde really hasn't felt this sort of like big loss in particular. I don't think Sylvanas has, but in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, she loses a Valkyr. What happens if she loses another Valkyr? Nathanos knows that these are what like bring her back or these are what give her the ability to stay here. I totally see like him, the the one noble act he would ever like quote unquote noble act he would ever accomplish in his own life is to sacrifice himself for her. I totally see him dying and him having no way of coming back. And I think that would be perfectly fine. Now, the other thing though about that entire setup that I thought was really, 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 really important is when as a horde player, you're going to, basically scout out and resurrect uh, fallen night elves and when you're doing this you're learning a little bit of something that has been hinted at but never been confirmed in game before at least not to my knowledge which is when the offer is made to a deceased soul that it's literally their choice because you're raising the undead or you're raising them as forsaken in some capacity and it's their choice. And if they choose not to, they're in this, at least in the questing, they become angry wisps and attack you. Or in the case of our lovely brand new Dark Warden, uh, she has her own reasons for accepting the gift or curse, however you want to look at it. And I think that's really cool. And I think that's really important. I See, think I... what irritated me, and it, and it only irritated me a little. I'm not going to say that I'm like super angry about it. I'm just kind of miffed, right? is that two two important night elves got resurrected at the end there. And one of them was a warden that was killed while waiting for Maya for backup or whatever. The other one was Duller and Summermoon, who led the whole campaign like before Battle for Azeroth came out. And I really liked that character. I liked everything about that character. I liked that character in the novella that came out like beforehand where they talked mm -hmm. about her. Um, I love her voice actress. Her voice actress is Erica Lindbeck, who also, she voices um, Sally Whitemane over in Heroes of the Storm as well. But she's just got this great voice for a night elf. And I was really jazzed about that character. And then they killed her off. And I'm like, oh, well, darn, that was kind of a waste. And then they brought her back, but they brought her back as a dark ranger. And I, I don't know how I feel about that. Well, I'll accept that on one condition. There's one way that I'll accept that and not be angry about it. 
if at some point in the future she turns and attacks Sylvanas. That's what yeah. I'm thinking. Because, find out. Yeah. Well, that that's why I was thinking this is important because it shows that they're not just mindless slaves, so to speak, to Sylvanas. And this is something we've talked about a lot, whether the Forsaken are, are thralled to her or in some way tied to her. It doesn't seem like that anymore. Or at least here, it's not portrayed in a way that, that sort of lends itself to that. It, going back with what happened with Lord Walden and all of them and looking at this, it very much feels like they have free will. And so this is absolutely something that I could see coming back to bite her in the undead rear later on see, in the campaign. There's problems with that going back to Cataclysm. Like there's a there's a quest where people are being raised on Fenris Island. And as soon as they're raised, they immediately attack their own people. Like they were like killed 10 seconds ago by me. And now they're getting up and attacking. You know, so sure. there's back and forth on that. But I didn't have a problem with her raising the, the people she raised, not Delarin, but Syrah. Because Sira was already the second you get there as an alliance player, Sira is already saying stuff like Elaine didn't do anything for us. Mm-hmm. She's already you, been disillusioned. You get that that some of the night elves have already lost their faith. Because if Elune is real, in a big way, why, yeah, why didn't Elune help us? And you even get like Taronda. One, there are things I did like about this. One of those is that Taronda is, isn't asking. She doesn't go there and ask Elune for anything. She demands it. Yeah. She doesn't say, she's not like, please help us. She's like, no, if you want me to be your priestess, this will happen now. I am tired of having to try and clean up this this by myself. No, you're going to give me the power now. She demands it. And Elune, you know, it goes back to the, the, the whole deal with the original um, War of the Ancients. Toronto never wanted to be high priest. This was not a job that Taronda wanted. You'll notice that Maiev knows everything Taronda is doing mm-hmm. because Maiev was supposed to be high priest. The thing is, is I don't know if it was a case of Taronda didn't want to be high priestess so much as Taronda was shoved into that position from a place where she was still a novice. Like she wasn't. When I say she didn't. Yeah, I she agree didn't with you. have I time didn't... to decide whether or not she didn't even have time to entertain the idea of doing that someday in the future. It was just something that was thrust upon her. Yeah, it's very much like if Toronto is literally like you get a job the first day you walk in, they're like, "Oh, hi, yeah, well, you're going to be in the mailroom." Oh well, um, the CAO died. You're going to be CEO. Hey, what? Yeah, you're you're in charge now. Like that's she, not quite that bad, but she was barely an close, accolade. Yeah. She was she she was fairly new to it, and they just the you know the goddess was like no her, like what? And that's always been, in my opinion, one of the big problems with with Maiev and her role in the Night Elf Society. It's that Maiev, you know, you would always be wondering why. You know, Maiev was uh, was was selected for it. It was her. You know, she was a priest for years. She was gonna be. The, the the next one and then the you know the high priestess dies and Maiev just gets passed over it's always been interesting to me the tension between the two is palpable because of that it That's goes all I, the way back to that moment yeah and, and i liked when Maiev says to taranda are you sure about this for all that Maiev is has been in her the past kind of nuts she, she's like are you sure you want me in this role and taranda's like yeah it doesn't matter anymore that was about- that was one of those important moments that I really enjoyed was that it was Taranda and Maiev working together. And I thought initially when the three of them were like wandering off and stuff, I'm like, wow, this is going to be kind of awkward. And then they just didn't talk about it. And then it came up in that one moment and it was Maiev that brought it up. It wasn't yeah. Taranda. It was Maiev that brought it up. And she was kind of like, 
this is awkward. And Taronda basically said, look, if we keep focusing on the past, we're never going to move forward. So let's just get things done. There's also like one of the interesting things about it is because Maya had all that priest training, Maya knows exactly what Taronda is doing. Everybody else is like, what is she doing? I don't get it. Even uh, Chandris is like, I don't understand what she's doing. And Mariah was like, oh, I know what she's doing. This is yeah. real bad. Yeah. And think about it this way. One of the things I liked is that they basically establish this is the worst thing that they had access to. This is the nuclear option for night elves. This is the thing they've never done before, even when they've had things like the Burning Legion invade their lands. Here's what I find kind of interesting about this, too. Um, and it was just something that I noticed and kind of made a connection with. This is what Taronda did is kind of equivalent to what was going on with the Shadow Moon in Warlords, where they touched the Dark Star and they weren't supposed to do that. This is kind of along those same lines. It was something that they had access to, but they didn't touch it. The Night Elves had access to it, but they didn't touch it because it was deemed too dangerous. Yeah, it literally tore apart the last few people who tried to do it. Yeah. So and that's it's, interesting it's kind of equivalent between the two, you know? There's like an equivalency there. I just wonder who those people were. I don't who tried know. to do this before? Because, like, I mean, we know that Taronda has been High Priest for 10,000 years. We know there was a High Priest before her. How many High Priests were there before that? I mean, night elves live a long time, even if they're not immortal. They live a couple thousand years, easy, even longer, maybe. They they live longer than even like high elves or blood elves. I mean, when you talk about the fact that it's been like 10,000 years since the War of the Ancients, that seems like an impossibly long time. But what you have to realize is that the night elves were around for thousands of years before that. Mm-hmm. So it, it, their society didn't just start with the War of the Ancients. That was just one of the most pivotal moments in a very long and storied history. So but, there but are still chapters like, to that history that we don't know about. We know nothing about like the several thousand years of the Calderai Empire. We, we, we know that at some point Ashara became queen of it, but we don't know how long she reigned. We don't know who was queen before or king before her. We, you know, There's a lot we don't know. But that idea that this thing's been around and they've like not used it. Like they didn't use it during the first invasion of the, of the, of the burning Legion. They didn't use it during the war of the Satyr. They didn't use it when the, you know, old gods attacked, yeah. you know, the whole Ankaraj the scepter war. Or the they battle of high jaw. They didn't use yeah. it then. They didn't use it then. When, when Taronda thought waking Illidan up was a better idea than this. That she, like, <laughs> went, she went into That's a, a hole good in the point. <laughs> What's let's well we could you know I'm gonna go wake up my crazy uh, brother-in-law that you know is you know loves demon magic and stuff we're gonna that that seems like a way to go and if I have to I'll kill some wardens you know to get there but just this this is this is Taronda like this is if it break glass in case stuff got real sort of moment I thought that was pretty interesting I just feel like it it didn't feel like it had enough impact once it was actually happening like I mean I don't know. Maybe if she and I feel both, like maybe this will play out more as the battle for Dazara lore progresses and as the patch progresses. Um, I feel like this obviously, you know, this is like again, it's kind of an introductory thing for the warfront, but then we don't see the fallout from the warfront, and I don't think that we will until you know after the raid and after everything has kind of died down a bit. Then we'll yeah, see more we about it. That, we know the raid stuff doesn't really have anything to do. The night elves are basically out of that, yeah, because they're doing this. So 
in a way, Sylvanas gets what she wants and that the alliance is already fractured up. Meanwhile, on the Horde side of things, things are just kind of fascinating. There's, um, there's some interesting developments on the Horde side, and one of them is the introduction of choice. And that was something that players weren't really offered during the introduction to Battle for Azeroth, and they were a little bit upset about that understandably so because a lot of them were like why am i doing these things i don't want to be doing these things why i don't have any choice i have to go do these quests i have to follow sylvanas's orders but i don't want to be doing any of this my druid wouldn't want to be attacking night elf lands or you know cutting down night elf druids or anything like that they're kind of neutral with the scenarian circle what's going on here you know that kind of thing um so the introduction for the Battle for Darkshore, you have a bunch of different things going on. And one of those things is that the warden, Sarah, the one that was kind of disillusioned with a loon, she gets captured. Well, she kind of gets cut down. And you are given the choice. Nathanos orders you to kill her. And you can either follow his orders and execute her, or you can tell Nathanos to do it himself um, and kind of absolve yourself of that it's still going to happen no matter which decision you make but the choice that you make is do I want to take responsibility for this action or do I want to say you know what maybe that's going just a little bit too far even for me and step away from it and let Nathanos do the deed um Joe I know you did the horde side of things which one did you pick uh I let him do it because again my character being a shaman being mainly a healer it's not something he would really do yeah. So I kind of just like was like, look, I will, you know, she's she's defeated. In my mind, I'm like, you could capture her, you could take her as a prisoner. You don't have to kill her. If you want to kill her, that's on you. That's not me. Um, it's not perfect, uh, obviously, but it's better than we've had, and I appreciate it because I know there there are several of those moments coming up uh, throughout the course of of what's to come, and it's important. It's important for me as far as like a, a character caring about these quests that I'm going through, because I will tell you this when I don't have those options and it's just whatever, it's sort of, um, I don't want to say boring, but it takes me out of the moment, at least a little bit. I'm not saying that an MMO yeah. has to be completely perfectly immersive, but when I've built my character a certain way, especially after years of RPing as this character and, and knowing like what my motivations are, it just feels dirty. Yeah. Uh, so this is good. This is, this is a good thing. And that's, the choice I made too, because um, the character that I was playing on Horde side was a Nightborn, <laughs> and, and the way I play her is okay. Yeah, I'm following along with you guys. Cool, great, thanks for getting me out of Suramar because I really hated it there. And then you know when you get to the points where it's like those big moral decisions or whatever, she's just kind of like, "Whoa, I just signed up with you guys. You know what? You go do the killing thing. I'll just be over here. Thanks." And that's that. But um. Beyond that, we had another storyline come out for Horde players, and you're sent to go find out where Saurfang is gone. Um, and we're going to talk about that. Joe, did you get a chance to play through that? I have not. Um, I know Ooh. of it. I, I, I played through it on the uh, the PTR. Okay. All right. So so you've seen it anyway. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay. So we're going to talk about that, too. Um, and Rossi, did you play through it on the PTR or anything, or have you heard about it? To a degree. I mean, I haven't actually finished it. Okay. Um, do you mind if we go ahead and No, talk? I'm aware of all, pretty much the whole plot. So okay. So it's not a problem. All right. So what's going on here with that is you get a summons to go talk to Sylvanas. And you go to talk to Sylvanas and she says that Saurfang has 
he's no longer in the stockades, but they've lost track of him and they don't know where he's at. But they do know mm-hmm. that the Alliance is after him and we need to find him before the Alliance does because we're not going to, you know, desert a member of the Horde and just leave them to die at the hands of the Alliance, blah, blah, yada, yada. And she sends you with one of her Dark Rangers to go track him down. As you're tracking him... Oh, wait, there's an important part you're missing there, though, that, that is kind of important for this whole setup for the quest line. She doesn't do this publicly. She wants to meet with you privately. She meets with you privately to discuss all of this. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And she sends you with one of her trusted Dark Rangers, and um, you go out to go find Sourfang. And as you're tracking Sourfang down, you start to uncover that there was um, SI7 involvement with this, um, and that Matthias Shaw was deliberately telling people to take a break and or leave their posts and or sending them elsewhere on the days and times that Saurfang would have been moving through the area. And when you get to the point where you realize, ah, he's gone to the Swamp of Sorrows, like you track him all through Red Ridge, Elwyn and Red Ridge. And once you get to the point where you realize, ah, he's gone to the Swamp of Sorrows, the Dark Ranger tells you, okay, I'm going to go report back to Sylvanas with this. Don't do anything else. Whatever you do, don't do anything else. We don't need anyone following you. We don't need the Alliance finding out where he is. So just go ahead and go back and go, go do your thing. At that point, oh my gosh, I forget his name already. The Zakan, yeah. Zakan shows up. Just say Zabby Boy. Zabby Boy. He pops up right after the Dark Ranger leaves and he says, Hey, I know where Sourfang is. We need to go help him. We have to go help him. And Sylvanas has been lying to you. She doesn't want to help him. She wants to kill him. This is all a setup to find out where he is so she can take him out herself. We got to get to him first. Which, when you're you're as a Horde player and if you pay attention to like how the quest setup is, it makes perfect sense yeah. because when she's giving you the quest, the only, the only horde faction members that are in that room are forsaken. There are everything forsaken else. Forsaken and dark rangers. The, that's it. That's that's it. Well, I, I kind of count them in the, the forsaken yeah. thing, but like all all of the torn have been removed, all the orcs have been removed, all the trolls have been removed. None it's of them are just there. Just forsaken. So, yeah. um, he says, "You got to help me out. You you got to help me do the right thing. We got to go help Sourfang." And you're given another choice, again, as a Horde player. And your choice is, you can tell Zakan, you can tell him, okay, let's go help him out. Or you can tell him, I'm not going to betray my war chief. And you can side with Sylvanas 100%. If you choose that option, a pop-up comes up and it says that you won't get the reward that's at the end of the quest chain. Your story will continue later. And Zakan will remember the choice that you've made. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of warns you. It, it, it warns you in that moment. Hey, this is past the point of no return here. Are you sure you want to do this? So you can and you can cancel out of it at that point, or you can say, "Yeah, I'm siding with Sylvanas." And at that point, you go back to Sylvanas. She thanks you for everything she tells you that they found Sourfang but he managed to get away and she's really annoyed about it and then you get like a bunch of artifact power or whatever for your necklace and that's it that's the end of it for you if you choose to side with Sourfang if you choose to go with Zakan you go out to where Sourfang is hiding in the Swamp of Sorrows and you face off against the Dark Ranger you were just sent to track with along with a bunch of other Dark Rangers you kill them all Mm mm-hmm And then Sourfang says, look, this next section of the trek, 
I've got to make it on my own. I need you to go back to Orgrimmar. I need you to tell Sylvanas that I got away. I'm going to hit you to make it look convincing. I'm just going to... He said, I hope you could take a hit. So Sourfang punches you in the face and knocks you down to half health. And it's pretty great. Um, and then he sends you back to Orgrimmar. And you get back to Orgrimmar. And I... Patty Matson does the most amazing voice work with Sylvanas Windrunner. Mm -hmm. I got back to turn in that quest and I told her, yeah, he got away. And the way that she delivered the lines was just terrifying beyond all reason. Because she was like, it was a very almost casual, oh, you got away. Goodness, well, it's a good thing you only got a black eye. Yes, that's very convenient. We'll be keeping an eye on you. <laughs> and like, <laughs> there's no outright hatred or anything. It's just the way that she delivers the lines where you know that she knows and you know it's going to come back to bite you later mm -hmm. at some point. Um, she's terrifying and she's so good at what she does. I, I love her voice work with Sylvanas so much. Um, but again, we've got like another thing where all of a sudden we are presented with the choice. This time around, that choice appears to be having some kind of consequences later on. I don't know what those are going to be. I think that's the part that I'm kind of like, was this a good idea or a bad idea? Well, I guess we won't know until we see how it's actually resolved. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I mean, we have more to go. Like, right now, we're yeah. only, as far as everything that goes, even, like, the war campaign, I think we're only up to chapter three of the 8.1. So, like, there's there's still a lot more to go. There's a lot more pieces that are going to be moving. A lot more things are going to happen, obviously, because yeah. the expansion is still going. But the ramifications seem interesting. And it seems like there is, for me, the most important takeaway is that there does seem to be a definite plan in place for what's going to happen. And that's something that I've I've been getting a lot of questions about on, on like Twitter and, and stuff like that, asking if I feel like this is going to be another war, Warlords of Draenor where like the story keeps shifting and changing. And I don't think so. I think this is indicative that they actually know where is they want to go. Is it going to be Garrosh Hellscream 2.0? That's what people right, are I, worried about. And I don't think it is. I don't think so either. And I think and I think this is all set up to make it not that. Or at least at least I'm very hopeful of that. But from what we're seeing with these quest lines and these sort of story reveals it's feeling like there's more meat to the story. There's more, there's more that's going to be uncovered. There's more, more nuance. And I'm okay with that. I guess my question is, I mean, we kind of see the path that Sylvanas is wandering down and it's not a very good path, right? Taronda, what Taronda has done here with the night warrior thing is, well, it was like you were saying, Rossi, <laughs> like even when given the opportunity to do something like that during, you know, the War of the Ancients or the Battle of Hyjal, particularly the Battle of Hyjal, she chose to let Illidan out rather than take and use this power because it's that bad, quote unquote, bad. I'm wondering if there are going to be any further repercussions for Taronda later on down the road. And I'm also I mean... wondering, um, a lot of what I'm wondering here is... This makes sense for a moon-based goddess that she has a light side and she also has a dark side. We've never seen the eclipse side of Elune before, but it looks absolutely terrifying. But this also kind of calls back to the Naru in a way because the Naru have that light cycle and void cycle. This is almost like the void cycle of Elune, but not. You know what I mean? So I'm wondering if this is going to have repercussions down the road or not. What do you think, Rossi? 
Well, I definitely think that it's, I mean, the very fact that it's killed several people who've tried to do it imply that this is a step that once you take it, you know, it's, it's bad news. Um, the fact that, you know, she and Malfurion seem totally okay with this is interesting. Malfurion didn't, doesn't express any reservations. He doesn't say anything about, are you sure? He's just there doing what she tells him to. Malfurion is like the rage of the wilderness incarnate. He's so terrifying. <laughs> it's yeah, they, great. <laughs> they've, they've pushed. The only problem I had was that during the Warfront, they still have him saying stuff in his usual Malfurion self. And I'm like, no, man, go back to when you're in the cinematics and you barely talk. Uh, you're you're scary as F when, when you don't say anything. Uh and he he really is frightening in the the cinematic. He's quite terrifying. He's pretty scary just in the the setup to the actual warfront. Like the, you know he's he's taking people out left and right. It's it's actually pretty impressive. Uh, I I do think there's going to be repercussions. I don't know if Toronto will ever actually be the same. Like you get the sense that even after she's done it, she's she's really cold during the entire thing. Nathanos mouths off to her quite a bit. And quite frankly, I'm sick of him. He needs to shut up. But he mouths off to her quite a bit. And she doesn't respond. She's like, I am queen of no one. Like he calls her queen of the tree elves. Oh, you don't have a tree anymore. And she's like, I am queen of no one. I am the vengeance of the Calderai. And she says it very, she doesn't say it as quite as slowly as I'm saying it, but she doesn't, there's no. It's very matter of fact. Yeah. He means nothing. That's the only reason I, I was able to accept that he doesn't die there. He means nothing. He's not important. He's not anything. No, he's not. He's not the. He's not the one pulling the strings. He's not he's the literally nothing. Yep. To her. Um He doesn't mean anything because he doesn't offer any kind of power to Sylvanas. Whereas the Banshee are the things that are. You're not the Banshee. The Valkyr are the things that are keeping her alive. Now, whether or not the Night Elves are aware of that or not, I don't know. But they do know the, the Valkyr. The Valkyr yeah. represent a serious source of power, and I think that's why she focused on the Valkyr rather than focusing on Blightcaller because Blightcaller is just a speck. He's an undead forsaken who's loyal to his queen but what can he really do they just, just beat the snot out of him what can he really do i just my my thing is he's watching the whole thing i i really do want to see more consequences but you know as people have pointed out to me we haven't gotten to the end the war campaign kind of ties into this in a different way um but in terms of what she's i don't think i have no idea if at the end of this when this is all said and done i don't know if she's even going to want to be the head of state like it feels like she's passed through a barrier here. Like that she's done something that is almost unthinkable. The night warrior. I mean, my night elf is a night warrior right now too. I'm using the, the, the thing. So it feels like a change. Like I almost could imagine her saying to Chandris, look, you're in charge now and going off and doing like something else with her life because it does feel like she's given up something fundamental. Like, do you remember when Velen kind of like had his, you know, screw the future. I'm going to do stuff now sort of thing. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. Velen was like, I'm not going to look for the perfect future anymore. I'm just going to act. It feels like she's like, I'm not going to look for a loon's light anymore. I'm going to burn things. Like I'm going to, if you want light, we'll, we'll, we'll get light from the, you know, the bonfires of horde dead. Like it, it doesn't, when she's leading the, the, the march to, to get to blight caller, she's saying, yes, thousands of our people were slaughtered. You know, the children, in the sense we're just burned to death the thing there's, is there's not, is it's time for me to destroy that's what that's what she seems to be like the thing is though is that it doesn't represent a loss in faith 
because Tyrande is still embracing a loon. She's just embracing the other side of a loon. So yeah. it's not the same thing as the disillusionment that Sarah was showing where she said, a loon, does a loon, is a loon even here anymore? Why would a loon let this happen? That kind of thing. It's yeah. not that. No, it's it's less that she lost her faith and more that she's decided I'm doing it wrong. Yeah. Like, you know, it's it's less a, uh, I don't have faith in you. The fact is that Elune answered her. Yeah. She goes there and she demands that Elune give her the power to defend her people. And Elune does. You know, say what you want about it. The moon turned black. The moon turned black. And now Taronda can do scary, horrible things. Elune has clearly said yes to what to what Taronda was saying. But, you know, I think about, I think Maya is one is pointing out, we don't know the cost here. You know, and Maya was telling you, yeah, that the last people who tried this were destroyed, you know, Elune's wrath toward And it's apart. almost kind of funny that it's Maya of all people that's pointing that out. Yeah. But I mean, the point Maya was making is that Elune's wrath toward them apart. Elune has wrath. The Night Elves have always known this. The other side of the night is darkness and violence. Oh, we saw that. We saw that during the end times stuff, too. Like, yeah, it's actually very similar to the end times. Yeah. The way the way she was in end time where she's living in that black place and she's like this could oddly enough, this could be the first step along that kind of journey for her. I thought that, too, especially when I saw the the black eyes, like the really like demonic, like out of an episode of Supernatural, like black eyes. And I was like, I remember that being a thing in the end times. And it was like it's almost. Darkness has this problem, right? Especially in, in Warcraft, we've seen this time and time again, where darkness can become consuming. Like, you can use the darkness to a certain extent, but how long before it starts eating at you? And I'm wondering, just like like if, like you're saying, I'm wondering if this is the first step down that path. I would be very intrigued to see if that's where they go with this. I'm kind of fascinated with it, obviously, because we really haven't seen too much out of Tyrande from a story standpoint throughout the expansions she's just been uh, ever since vanilla she's just been kind of there and she's been stepping up in bits and pieces here and there but this is the first time where she's stepped up in a really prominent role and shown us just what she's capable of and it's downright terrifying really so one thing i wanted to mention because we haven't really talked about it there's one moment in the pre the, the lead up that i really liked yeah. um it's gen and his you know the 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 Gilnean response, the Worgen response. I like that Gen turns to in, to Anduin when Anduin's like, "I'm sorry, we don't, we can't spare the people, we can't help you," and she leaves. And she's mad. She basically tells him, "Then I'll go do it myself," and storms out. Instead of trying to like argue with with that, you know, just Gen just turns and goes, "Um, she took my people in, and if I don't go help her, I'm half convinced my wife will just go with and take the people without me." So yeah, I'm I'm going to Darkshore. Andwin doesn't her. argue it either. Andwin's just no. like, okay, good luck. Well, he yeah. can't. He can't because he, you know, Gen really is. Gen is a king. He is. He is the Anduin's whole role is only there as long as everybody backs him in it. That's the interesting weakness of Anduin's position versus Sylvanas's. Sylvanas can compel obedience because the war chief has that kind of hereditary, that established power over the other leaders. The alliance doesn't have that. The high king is by affirmation. If if they decide they're doing stuff without him, there's not much he can do about it. And so I do think that this is something that might play into Sylvanas's hands later on. But I thought it was interesting to see it. He isn't angry about it. He doesn't say anything accusatory. He isn't trying to make Anduin like you know guilty or anything. And Anduin, for his part, doesn't 
try and you know force obedience either the two of them just understand this is something i have to do and it's something you can't support me in and i thought that was really interesting especially since once you as you go through the the war campaign the alliance side one you see why anduin can't back her you you get it you know this is what's going on at the exact same time i can't divert from it i've already committed to this so so one of the things we're going to kind of duck out of this a little bit because one of the things that I did in the last couple of weeks was I finally finished the Horde War campaign. And um, first off, what? Um, there's a <laughs> lot going on over there that I didn't realize. Mainly that they, the Horde has the body of Derek Proudmore. Rather well preserved, mind you. Yeah, not bloated at all. It looks pretty good for being, you know, as many years underwater. old as it is and underwater. But, but there's something weird about that in the first place. There was a dragon down there. Yeah. Not just any dragon. Let, yeah. Let's like, and I, I, I pointed this out when I first got to this, this part of the quest line. Yeah. And it blew my, blew my mind because there was a risen frost worm. Yep. Under the water. Yep. And who controls all of the frost worms? Yep. So, huh. so here's where we go into interesting territory. Cause as I'm doing this war campaign, um, a reoccurring theme keeps popping up. Nathanos is looking for particular bodies. He's not just looking to raise anybody. He's looking for the strongest Kulturan military leader. He's looking for the strongest person here. He's looking for the strongest person here. He's looking for the person down below. And then when they stumble upon Derek Proudmore, that's just icing on the cake as far as it all goes. What did they do in Darkshore? They went after Delarin the strongest night elf person from that initial push into Darkshore and the burning of Teldrassil. And then Sarah was just kind of icing on the cake as far as that goes. They're raising heroes. They aren't just raising anybody willy-nilly. I mean, they are, but they've got a specific path that they're going where they're raising powerful heroes. And I keep thinking back to Wrath of the Lich King and what Arthas was doing with all of us. He was toying with us throughout that entire expansion, and his intent was that when we got to Ice Crown Citadel and when we faced him at the peak, he would kill us all and then he would raise us, and then he would have mm-hmm. an army of unstoppable champions to do his bidding and, and wreak havoc. That didn't work in that case because we had Tyrion Fordring helping us out. Um, and but, his dad. Let's not forget. And, and his dad. And Terranus. Yeah. Terranus, the spirit of Terranus, was working there too. Because he did but... kill us. That's, it's he, not did. That he... he did. Yeah, he did, but they brought us, us back. <laughs> the thing is, is there's a correlation here. And everybody keeps talking about, oh, this is Garrosh Hellscream 2.0. Da, 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 da. But the, the more and more that I look at it, and the more that I look at what Sylvanas is doing, it's almost Wrath of the Lich King 2.0. Yeah, which again, like I've been thinking about this a lot too, and I'm wondering if that's because Sylvanas is is becoming sort of that 2.0 motion or or 2.0 portion of the Lich King, or if the Lich King is playing a much more important role in the background with what's happening with the Forsaken than we can possibly imagine. Well, you guys did do the uh, you've done the Vol'jin thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. I so got that done that too. I went through all of Vol'jin that. Confronts, Vol'jin confronts the Lich King. And the Lich King claims, you know, I don't have anything to do with you. If you're here, it's nothing it's nothing to do with me. Yeah. And he doesn't like he doesn't seem to care. That's the interesting thing. 
I don't see. That's why I don't entirely agree with Joe about the Lich King doing stuff on a, so much as I wonder if the Lich King is observing stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like it's Maybe. taking everything I mean, in bit by bit. Well, like the, you mentioned the risen frostworm. Um, we know that if you know that there are different kinds of undead dragon. The frostworms are usually blue dragons. If they when he when a but one blue dragon came back as a as an ember worm, and we know that that can happen sometimes. Yeah, that was up in so Arizona. it's possible it's possible that that was a dead red dragon. If we know, I know that I've raised at least one red dragon as a death knight. Well, I raised a red dragon as a as a worm. And the other thing is too that the red dragons were the ones that the dragon maw were riding when they destroyed Derek's boat. When Derek was killed during the second war. Yeah, and some of those dragons didn't didn't survive they were killed during the fighting yeah and that's interesting to me why is there why was there risen frostworm down there it, is it that the lich king you know has been reanimating it or is something else going on and i i don't don't know i do think that it's interesting that the lich king would be observing this is there, the thing there I'm are just several little up. weird plot points going on and i feel like i should point yeah. out the other thing that i ran into while i was leveling the alt um i did a bunch of the island expeditions because of course i did and one of the things that I came across was a piece that went to the Rykul and I took it to them and they said, oh yeah, Helia is at work again. And then they kind of laughed and said, oh, you thought Helia was dead? Yeah, no, that doesn't happen. She is death. Which I mean, we've been talking about that in, for a while. Yeah, we've, we've, yeah. we've all expected that. But they deliberately brought that point up and I'm like, okay, so this is probably going to tie in here somewhere too because... Who did Sylvanas make, Sylvanas make a deal with? And and what were the terms and conditions of that deal? You know, what did Sylvanas trade in exchange for access to that lantern? And was that deal rendered moot when Gen destroyed it? Or is it still in place? And if it's still in place, what is Sylvanas Ohelia? Or even worse, what uh... if allowing the, the uh, lantern to get destroyed put Sylvanas in abeyance further in debt as in yeah yeah no not further in debt you broke the terms of our deal yeah i gave you a lantern and it's got smashed now you owe me everything mm -hmm. you know there's there's stuff going on with with the whole sylvanas sylvanas's actions we there's have a not thing seen going on with much. sylvanas and then there's a thing going on also with bomb samdi where uh, during the course of that quest chain where you go find the Vulcan thing, he says that the boss isn't going to be happy about this. And it's like, well, mm -hmm. who does the Loa of Death report to? So we've got this whole overarching theme of death. And there's somebody at the helm of all of this, but we don't know who it is. Somebody yeah, is at the helm of all of this. Somebody is behind that, all of this. It's interesting, too, that the, uh, the Drost come back now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know their leader, you know, gets to come back from their land of the dead that they've all been trapped in now. And you get to get a bunch of that, especially if you're doing the quest lead up. Because I just finished uh, that questing on my alliance alt not too long ago. Like that's that's real interesting and parallels really well with a lot of the stuff we've already been seeing with a bunch of the other death stuff. And th going back to the thing about the risen frostworm underneath the water. Why would the Lich King be paying attention to Derek Proudmore? I can think of a couple reasons. I can think of a couple as well. You know, the current Lich King happens to have a very real interest in yep. a, certain, a certain person living in Kul'Tiris. And we haven't, no one's really talked to, to her about that yet. We got a 
Anyone's like, I'm going to tell you stories, but no one's like, um, should we tell her that one particular story? Because I don't even know if they know. We it. haven't we haven't gotten that exchange yet. Did you guys run into um, on Alliance side after 8.1 came out? I was running around Borealis Harbor, and I ran into Jaina talking to one of the citizens of Colteris and saying, "Hey, your wife wanted you to have this," and the guy was like, "Thank you." And then Catherine walked up and asked her a few questions and then they wandered off to go to the library to have like further conversations it was just as it wasn't like a super deep exchange between the two it was more them talking about the process of healing and all of that and just the connection between the two of them but it was entirely unexpected like i i didn't know that that was going to happen it didn't lead to any quests or anything it was just there and then it was gone well i mean you've done the alliance war campaign right oh yeah so you've done the part where you get the uh, message and you go talk to Jaina. And then as you're talking to Jaina at her uh, family memorial, then Tandred's like, it's a good image and all that stuff. You get the whole bit. Then the attack happens. Yeah. Uh, that was interesting to me because it's it ties into they know Derek's body has been taken. Yeah, they do. Um, they there's know. actually well, part, of of the, horde, was... part of the Horde War campaign. There's a That's section how you there where yeah, they come in to basically Nathaniel says hey we have your other son if you want him come and get him and they come to attack and while they come to attack you sneak into Boralus to go get um, what is that thing called the abyssal scepter yeah mm-hmm. the abyssal scepter um, you sneak in to go get it here's the other thing that I am really kind of enjoying and it's weird um, oh my gosh I can't remember her name Lillian Lillian Voss Lillian Voss yeah Lillian has kind of undertaken the task of ushering these new Forsaken around and getting them used to the idea of being Forsaken and letting them know that things are going to be different, but they're going to be okay. And she's kind of like the other ones, the other Kulterians that have been raised, they've kind of latched onto her and they're talking to her. And she's kind of there in like a mentor capacity, but there's also this kind of sense of caring that's coming from her that wasn't there previously. You see that the most, and, and this is one of my favorite little little tiny pieces of the quest line that was important in the original campaign uh, for the Horde side and then has transitioned real well into 8.1, and that's the Tide Sage. Because in order to find Derek's body in the first place, they had to basically find him lost at sea because that's where it was. In order to do that, they needed the Tide Sages, which are intricately linked with the, the sea. Keep in mind that you our... weren't looking for Derek. You were looking for a captain who knew. You were where... looking for a captain, yeah. yes. Who knew where the Abyssal Scepter was or something like that. I don't know. There was but this something... is just. Yeah. It, you were looking for the Grand Marshal, is yeah. what, it, what it was. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, what wound up happening is you find a a Tide Sage who's dying to a disease. There is no cure, there is no magical cure. And he's worried about his family. And this is in Storm Song. And so what Lillian and Rexar basically come up on him and, and you as a champion. And you're like, look, we can give you a chance to sort of keep going and make sure your family's okay. But it's going to really be bad. And well, here's really the funny be part, though, because the way that that conversation goes about is that he starts asking Lillian. He says, yeah, if if you become a forsaken, if you're risen as forsaken, are you still sick? Do you still have a disease or does it go away? Like what, what happens? And he gets really interested and he keeps asking her these questions and she kind of refuses to answer him. And then when it gets to the point where he's just about to point out where things are, 
the sickness overwhelms him and he dies. So they bring mm-hmm. him back. And when they bring him back, he gladly helps you out. And then he says, I, I got to go find my family. I got to show them. I got to let them know that I'm okay. And Lillian tells him straight up. She says, don't do that. They're not going to react to you the way that you think they're going to react to you. This isn't how it works. And he insists on going anyway. And he runs off and you go after him with Lillian. And there's this exchange where he's there in front of his family and he's telling him, look, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm not sick and anymore. It's the whole, it's and the whole you're terrified. a monster. What have you done? Yeah. Yeah. And, and they're terrified. Um, and his children are terrified of him. And at the end of it all, he says, look, I'll go with you guys and I'll do what you need me to do. But can you just make sure that my family is still okay? Can now you that's make sure the that they're part. taken care of? That's the important part. Because when you go back and you do the stuff with the 8.1 campaign and you're... Yeah. With Rexar, and you're doing the, uh, I think it's the attack on the Norrington the estate, like that whole thing, that whole the scenario. Norrington estate, yeah. yeah, yeah. He like literally the Tide Sage asks Rexar how his family is doing. He's like, how are they doing? What's happened? And Rexar is reluctant at first, and he's like, I, I, you know, do you really want to know? Do you really want to know? And so he tells him everything. He's like, look, your family, you know, bought a nice a nice house, very safe, um, in Drustvar. Uh, you know, they're basically a secure area where they can live out their days and be happy and healthy. And then he asks, well, where did they get the money from? And he turns to him and says, Lillian Voss always keeps her promises because at the end she promised to keep his family safe. And that's exactly what she did. Basically she bankrolled their yeah. resettlement for them, for him. Anonymously, probably anonymously. Like she didn't, it didn't say where it came from. Um, but it's one of those things where like Lillian Voss has always been a very interesting character in the fact that you're seeing the levels of humanity that she has now. I wasn't uh, really sure about Lillian Voss. I wasn't sure about her coming into this expansion because when it was revealed that she was working for Sylvanas and all of this other stuff, my immediate thought was, why is she doing this? She was so opposed, like vehemently opposed to being a forsaken to begin with. Why is she working with Sylvanas at all? And you actually have the opportunity to ask her those questions yourself. And she Mm -hmm. answers those questions to the best of her ability. But, I think there's more to it than she tells you, and that's the stuff that's playing out through these quests. Lillian's yeah, she's... a really interesting character. And not only is she really interesting, she's really smart. Yeah. And, like, that's it, like this is all part of the plan. And, like, what her plan is, I don't know, uh, at least not yet. But it's really interesting to see sort of a little bit of it evolve. And I'm really... Like it's one of those things where it's such a little minor thing in the grand scheme of things, but I have a feeling it's going to have a payoff later. And I love that. And I know everybody, you know, when they talk about, well, if Sylvanas goes away, then who's going to lead the Forsaken? And everybody automatically, like, defaults to Gallia because of what happened in Before the Storm. Lillian's kind of making a case for herself here. She's kind of making a case. It's slowly. Very slowly. But she's making a case for herself here where there wasn't one before. And I'm interested in seeing where she goes. Okay. I mean, and even if it, even if she's not ultimately going to be the person that's in charge of things, I could totally see her being important in that role, which, yeah, you know, like to whoever does take over, because I don't think Sylvanas is going to be in charge of things by the end of this expansion. I think you're way ahead of yourselves on the idea that she's not going to be in charge of things by the end of this expansion. I, I, don't, I don't know, know if it's something she'd want to do, though. Is that That's Guys, the question. I think people are way ahead of themselves that they think that this war is going to be over by the end of this expansion. I just, I don't think it's that easy uh stuff like what she's doing with ashvane 
Yeah, um, that's going to be real interesting. That was There's the other right, that... really interesting part, too, is that Sylvanas busted Lady Ashvane out of jail, and now she's working with the Horde. Mm, I'm wondering well, I mean, if she she's can't going go back to, to the be... Alliance. Well, I'm wondering how up... alive she's going to be the next time we see her, honestly. She's setting up a group of things. On the surface, by the end of the war campaigns, the Alliance are doing better than the Horde. Yep. That's just straight up the way it is at the end of this. The the Alliance think they've won. They're saying stuff like a few weeks and we'll have completely won. Um, but the Horde are doing all this stuff behind the scenes. The thing with Lady Ashvane, the thing with Derek's body, the, the various cult heroes. The thing is... where Rastakhan swore himself to Bwam Samdi. Yeah, that's but that's yeah. not that's not like Solanus's thing. That, that might be something else. No, but that there's ties a ton into of, there's death. Ton of fires, irons in the fire, right? There's a ton of irons in the fire. There's a lot going on. Um, I just feel like we we have eight point two, and we know eight point two isn't directly related to what's what we're already. Well, seeing. we haven't even finished. We haven't even finished eight point one. Like the war campaign still isn't done yet. Yeah, the war campaign's not done, and we haven't seen the end of Dazara lore, but we know roughly what happens there. There's going to be 8.2 where its focus is shifting and the stuff that we're doing here is going to continue on. We don't know what's going to happen there, but there's just a lot going on before we even get through 8.2 and into what's past it. And we don't know how many patches there are past it. Like, is 8.3 going to be the big climactic patch of Battle of Azeroth? Because where we things stand right now, I don't see an end to this. Like, never mind... I don't know how it's going to end. Like everyone assumes at the end of this expansion that we're going to go back to something roughly continuous to what we've had before. I don't know that that's true. I don't know if at the end of this expansion, the war will be over. And I don't know how long it will take us to get there for that matter. So in a way they've done an amazing job of setting up an expansion where you don't know what's going to happen. And that needs to be addressed. You need to, you know, actually look at it and go, you know, at this point, I don't know what's going to happen. Cause I, you know, the the assumption, oh well, if if Sylvanas goes away, who's going to lead the Forsaken? You guys are making some pretty big assumptions about Sylvanas's fate that I don't know that you can. She might very well end this thing with everything she wants. Well, I'm not saying that she's going to be like, so the, not being in charge of the Forsaken can mean many things, and I'm not thinking. Well, hold on, I'm not necessarily saying that you know the option is only going to be the option that she's removed from her place going back to one of the original things that we were talking about or at least earlier in this conversation about what deal she made with helia and the whole concept that helia is death and that like you've pointed out now with helia that, may come calling sooner than we think what what if all of this is helia been coming calling like what if all of this is that because if helia is death and she definitely gets a, a supercharge out of all those souls that that wind up passing through especially in a nautical themed expansion where helia was very clearly you know in that whole nautical theme area uh, as far as legion goes what if all of this is just juicing her up what if she's the boss what if she's the boss that bomb samdi reports to what if this is all part of a larger plan of hers this i find an interesting theory just because um by merit of the fact that helia was originally a titan creation mm-hmm. and bomb samdi and the loa they're like the wild gods of Azeroth. So While they are not necessarily related, but they might be interlinked in a way that we don't quite understand just yet. And I think it has to do with the Shadowlands because one of the things that I'm thinking about here, and there's if you go into the main city of the Horde and you go to the area just outside of it where there's actually things you can fight, but it's still like the city. 
Um, and you go up to the top of the mountain of of like a ziggurat that's there, and it's very much looks like a ziggurat. Um, there are little placeholders for all of the different loa. And one of the things that I found interesting there is that the loa that sort of ticked off Wamsamdi in some weird way, like Hyreek uh, or the other ones, they're not allowed to come back to life. That gate is closed to them. How? Now, the other ones, like even uh, Tortoga, uh, um, he's got a little baby icon. Like He's being reborn. He's in the process of coming back. And it's very clearly dictated there at the top of that, that, that mountain. And if Wamsamdi has that sort of power, and it's definitely tied with gatekeeping those gods, how did he get that power? Because none of the other wild gods have to have any sort of like gatekeeping involved with them. We've seen them come back multiple times. There's actually another thing to think about. There is another Loa of death. There yeah. is. And that Loa has never been seen. But nope. what if that but the other thing that you've pointed out before in past is that just because something's called the Loa does not mean that it is actually a wild god. What no, if that what what if that Loa that was presenting itself was Helia? Were they the she same wa- thing? What, like that like she presented herself like she was she was that that sort of representation of them because she wanted because if you look at it, they wanted to sacrifice and kill the entire world. That was their Ooh. goal when they were worshiping that god. They wanted that Loa told them, destroy everything, bring everything to me. I need to feast on the world. And that was the whole thing. Like that entire lore behind it was that that Loa was going to feast on the world, was going to feast on the spirit of the world. What if that's all linked? What if that's all part of her plan to get the heck out of that little dimension? Like we played into it. Now she's powering back up because we freed her from the bonds of whatever constraint was placed on her by by Odin. Odin's free to go do his thing now. He's no longer there sort of gatekeeping her or keeping an eye on her, at least not 100%. Now her plans can go into motion and she can do whatever she wants to do. And this is all part of that. Like, that's what I've been kind of like. Well, there is something else to consider, too. For all the Bon Zombie might be able to gatekeep. And I don't know that that's actually true that he can. Razan didn't even hesitate to threaten to kill him. No, that's very true. Razan was not afraid to, to threaten to kill but him. But that makes that makes the assumption that Razan knew or or that knew that Bon Zombie had a different patron. What if Razan the- didn't know? Well, I'm not assuming that Razan knew that at all. I'm just assuming that Razan did not fear Juan Samdi. And right. if Juan Samdi can control whether or not you get to come back from death, then Razan would have been more leery. Maybe, but, but again, that's... I, that's see, I, I think the assumption you're making is that he can't actually do that. And I don't know that it's valid. You don't know that Juan Samdi is the one who's keeping them out, or if he even is. It's the, possible that they're not coming back because they are utterly destroyed. It's not how he's presenting himself, though. Yeah, sure, but also that there's a lot of clues if you go around that 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 tower, that that temple. Yeah, but the whole thing you... with Shadra completely obvi- obviates that Shadra's not coming back because Shadra was utterly consumed, not because of anything to do with that. It's sure, because they ate Shadra. And that's what happened up in with the, in Zoldrak. Those gods, and we know that because one of the one of the Loa up in Zoldrak, oh Quetzun, was that her name? Quetzun yeah. even says, you know, I'm not coming back because of them, not because there's. Oh, now you've got me thinking, and I've got to. Oh, ow. But that's see, a, there's that's the no, thing no, though. No, 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 no. Stop, stop. Hold on. Quetzun makes a bolt hole in the Shadowlands. She makes a hiding spot. When they tried to consume mm-hmm. her in the Shadowlands, she makes a pocket, and then later on, she drags her high priest down there. Mm-hmm. They may, this might, we we may be looking at this entirely wrong with Juan Samdi and his patron. They may not be coming back because that's not because he's keeping them from coming back, but because he's hiding them. 
Think about the thing with Hakkar. Hakkar is the one who made the blood trolls in the first place, but they don't serve Hakkar. No. What would scare Loa enough that they don't want to come back? Mm. Well, and again, that's why I was thinking that, that Helia has something to do involvement with this, because if you go back to something that we talked about originally, when Odin made that deal with the creature of to the entity to yet be named, that sort of medium was Helia. And what if that's in the shadow that, that that creature, creature was in the shadow the Shadowlands, which we've made that assumption, we've made that sort of guess from all the things we've been gleaning. I think there's that that that's some involvement as well. But I don't there's a lot of different things it could be. I keep but coming back a, to this no, I keep coming back to this idea that we're mis we're misreading this. The the creature that Odin spoke to in the Shadowlands. Yeah. Took his eye. Mm-hmm. So he could and see into the, the living world. Into the living, no, see into the into the world of shadows. He could already see into the living world. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the, the shadow creature. Yeah. What did the shadow creature get out of that? He got Odin's what he eye. Did, what is he, he using Odin's for eye sight? for? What if it's not for sight? If he's got Odin's eye, Titans aren't part of the natural order of Azeroth. No. But if you have Odin's eye, you've got a bridge into the Titan Forge. You've got a bridge into Titan creations. And what happened after that? The Titan's essences passed into the Keepers. Ooh. Mm -hmm. So now you've got a bridge to the Titans. Yeah. And what entity on Azeroth is so powerful that it could take Valkyr from Helia? The, the, and the Valkyr that Sylvanas is using were not created by Helia. They're the Lich King's Valkyr. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he could make Valkyr. Yep. Which is a secret that Odin got from that shadow from creature. From that shadow creature. Mm -hmm. So how did the Lich King learn how to do it? Ooh, there's a missing piece here. Yeah. It's a pretty big missing piece that's been missing if, since Wrath of the Lich, Lich King, King. The Lich King doesn't know anything about why Vol'jin is now a Loa. And Buon Samdi is doesn't he a know Loa, anything. Though? Is he a Loa? Whatever he is, Buon Samdi doesn't know. Well, as as Joey's pointed out, Loa are just it's just a word meaning thing we don't get. But Buon Samdi doesn't know. The boss isn't going to be happy about this. The Lich King doesn't know. Now Rizal keep in mind that some of this know. stuff that you're talking about is stuff that happens in Tides of Vengeance, so we don't want to go too far into it. Yeah, but as far Still, as the Vol'jin stuff goes, there's stuff with Vol'jin that happens in Tides of Vengeance that we haven't gotten to yet. So I don't think just, we want to go too far into that. But yeah, there's uh, I just I feel like we're missing something about the fact that they say Helia is not dead because she is death. The fact that Sylvanas is you and, know, and obviously up to the something. The Rykul are just kind of matter of fact about this, by the way. This isn't like a surprise or anything to them. They're just like, oh, yeah, of course she's coming back. That's just what happens. Like, it's not it's not anything that seems out of place to any of them when you take them this little bit of information that you find on an island expedition. Speaking of which, folks, if you haven't been doing the island expeditions, you should probably go do those. At least do the weekly ones, because they do drop quest items every now and again, and those quest mm -hmm. items are pretty fascinating. Just saying. <sighs> so... I mean, there's, there's just a lot more here than I think... We have a lot of pieces to the puzzle. We don't know what the... Like I feel like we're we're sitting there in a room with a pegboard, 
or, or a corkboard, and we have the little red lines kind of going from picture to picture, but we don't know how they all tie together. <laughs> we haven't yet. we haven't quite put in that last thumbtack on the board yet. <laughs> but every but everything that we're saying here, this is why I don't think the Lich King is is not is just an observer. This is why I don't think he's just an observer right now because we have a lot of unknown stuff that seems to be really, really poignant or really, really important to what's going on right now in the world. So I think we're going to get more there. The Helia bits, like like you've pointed out, Anne, that's also another piece of the puzzle that, that's very important, but we don't know exactly how it ties in quite yet. You know what the funny the part about... stuff's going to touch in on the Drust at some point. I think so, yeah. too. Drust, the Drust look like like Vrykul to me. Yeah. They look like... I was going to say, not only do they look like Vrykrul, but they look very specifically like the Vrykrul that Helia had in her employ. Yeah. So. Um, um, and then we have, I was going to say, then there's also the other bits and pieces of like what, what Bwam Samdi's doing, what's happening with those Loa. Because again, while you're right, they may, he may be hiding them. I'm not sure what his reason for hiding like Hyreek would be, um, but that's definitely a possibility. There's a lot going on here that all seems to be circling one central pivotal point that we just don't know what that point is yet. So. What I find amusing about all of this, and I'm just going to point this out because nobody's pointed this out just yet. Um, we have all of this going on and all of this fascinating stuff that we're looking at. Meanwhile, what have we done about the fact that, oh, I don't know, Azeroth is bleeding out. <laughs> and Magni's trying to get us to put her back together. Like, that hasn't been barely, very... So, like, it's been barely touched <laughs> In you know, all of I, I, this, but it's like the important part of all of this. You know, an interesting thought about that. What if whatever the shadow creature is, obviously it doesn't have any love for order or life, and it doesn't really have any love for like death in the void. Like it's sort of like its own thing, right? It exists just like Solanus does out of its cycle. And we keep focusing on the fact that we have Titans and then we have the, the old gods that want to make a void Titan. What if there's an undeath? angle at this what if the the whole purpose of this of this war of everything of consuming all of the spirit that's being released including that of you know Let's the planet itself a zombie kind of but what if it's removing the universe from the cycle of light and dark the life and death oh. what if that's the end game like it's if if you destroy the cycle you completely Stagnancy. stop it from stagnancy you stasis. keep it from happening eternal stasis exactly nothing nothing can progress nothing can destroy and nothing can hurt. Yep. So it's a Final really Fantasy villain. Important to Sylvanas. Kind of. It's Sephiroth from Final Fantasy is my show. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, like, it's like a less emo <laughs> Sephiroth, yeah. There's just, I mean... Maybe uh, we'll get a little one-winged angel in the final boss fight for Battle for Azeroth. We didn't, even get around, we didn't even get around to talking about the fact that basically the whole invasion of the Zaralor is actually the Horde's fault. Yeah. Because they're the ones who invaded Kul Terras first. Yeah. And twice... Like actually, they did it in battle, for, you know, to open up siege of of Boralus, you, you just mentioned. But then they do it again. They hit Norway. Well, yeah. So it's actually twice that the horde comes to. Well, to they've hit Norway. This whole thing is the they've horde's hit, fault. They've hit Sto Norwington. They've hit um, Stormsong Valley. They mm -hmm. hit Boralus. They didn't hit Boralus directly. Basically, they hit Boralus while they were distracting the Alliance with something else outside in Tyrogard Sound. But they've been making hits all over Colteris while Colteris was struggling to reunify and get themselves under one leadership. And they have that one leader now, but they're still, you know, pulling all of the strings together. And the battle for Dazar Alor is the first time that a unified Colteris 
along with the alliance is able to make that kind of a decisive strike. How successful that's going to be, we're going to have to wait till what January twenty second to find out because that's when the that's when the raid comes out is the twenty second of January. So um, we have the twenty second, which is also part four of the war campaign that'll mm-hmm. be released, and then the last part of the uh, war campaign is the twenty ninth. Mm-hmm. So and the war campaign both. Both war campaigns are going to end up in the Zara War. We know that much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the language. Yeah. Well, right now, my war campaign thing, all it says when I go to it is await the battle for Dazara lore. There's nothing else to do with it on both sides. So um, that's what we're doing is we're just kind of waiting. And until then, we're coming up with all kinds of wild and crazy theories, apparently. Um, See, I really find myself we... wondering if that's what Ashara's involvement in 8.2 is going to be about. Yeah, that's that's kind of an interesting question because uh, Tides of Vengeance is more about that. And it's like, oh, huh, how's that going to tie into everything? Well, we're about mm-hmm. to find out. We're also about to find out how Sylvanas got her hands on um, Zalatath, which is going to be just fascinating i'm sure so i'm looking forward to all of this information however we've been going on for quite a while so perhaps we should be wrapping things up here Uh, Blizzard Watch. It's made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch, and your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And for you guys, listeners of Lore Watch, Audible's offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. They have a lot of Blizzard's titles available in audiobook format. One of them is Before the Storm, which involves like the lead up to Battle for Azeroth, and there's a lot in there that has to do with the Forsaken and Sylvanas and what Sylvanas' plans are. Um, and I feel like there's probably clues from that book that we still haven't pulled out and looked at yet. So if you're interested, you can choose that book as your free audiobook download with that 30-day trial. Or Audible has thousands of other books to choose from. You can pick anything you want, really. Um, you could download that or pretty much anything you want by going to blizzardwatch.com audible. And every sign-up helps support the show and everything that we do. So... This has been a lengthy show. I had some emails to get to, but we didn't get to those. So that's okay. We'll just carry them over to next time. Um, if you guys have any more emails about anything that we just talked about, you can send those to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Be sure that you put lore watch in the subject line so that we know that it's intended for this show. Final thoughts, you guys. I want to hear your wild out of the blue prediction. I want a long-term prediction of what you think is going to happen at the end of this expansion. Just not the whole thing. Pick one thing that you think is going to come out of this expansion. Joe. Oh, geez. Um, I think we're finally going to get an idea. Maybe not necessarily exactly know who or what it is, but I think we'll have an idea and start having to look at and go after whoever the, shadow lord is and that's what i'm going to choose to call it from here until we find out what it actually is because everything just seems way too conveniently pointing to that i think that the old gods i think that the void aren't necessarily the big bad that we're we're going to be looking after i don't think that it's going to be quite that anymore i think that it's going to be leaning way more towards that shadow lord and i think that's going to be what the end result is is that we're finally going to have sort of our our weapons pointed in that direction for the first time ever 
Rossi, one weird out there thing that you think we're going to get out of this expansion. Alliance or Horde, doesn't matter. Sylvanas is going to win, and you're going to see a coalition of the people who are basically just trying not to get destroyed against her ascendant forces, which are going to basically be a bunch of dead people. Shadowforged. Like, I, I honestly expect to see, like, you know, the Alliance and Horde are going to have to work together, and Sylvanas is going to be the head of a different kind of group that is essentially a dead Horde. If you know how Garage had a true Horde, and we've mm-hmm. had the Fell Horde, it's going to be like a dead Horde that's going to be all these different dead people that she's been assembling, because she's reanimated humans and elves. And leaders, elves. specifically leaders. Yep. So you're going to you're gonna see her win, and it's going to be like the end of uh, Empire Strikes Back, where you know, the, it looks like, where do we go from here? Like, wh- what do we do now? You know, sort of thing. I have a random thing that I think is going to happen. I think that Rostakon's decision to ally himself and his family to Bwamsamdi is going to come back and bite him in the butt. And I think that Talanji is going to have to choose a new Loa to follow. And I think it's going to be Vol'jin. And I think the Darkspear are going to be tied back to the Zandalar in a very significant way. I like that. Me too. Whether or not any of that happens, we don't know. But hey, thanks you guys, as always, for listening. And we will see you again in two weeks. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.